Welcome to the Pathways to Stillness podcast series. I'm Dr. Gary Irwin Kenyon. I'm a gerontologist and a Tai Chi teacher. I decided to create this series after receiving many heartfelt responses to my book, Pathways to Stillness, Reflect, Release, Renew, which is available on Amazon, Indigo, and Friesen Press, and in audiobook form from Audible and iTunes. You're also invited to check out my website, which is pathwaystostillness.org. As with my book, this podcast invites you to a conversation about how it's possible to discover your own pathways to meaning, peace, and stillness, even during these times of heightened anxiety, confusion, and rapid change. We are helped on our own journey to stillness by listening to the wisdom in each other's stories. Chapter 6 in my book is titled, Finding Your Way, and that gives you guidelines as well as examples of others who have discovered meaning and stillness in their lives. Previous guests have included Thomas Moore, who among other things wrote Care of the Soul, and Dr. Bill Randall, co-founder of Narrative Gerontology. In this series, I'm in conversation with Dr. Bill Cook. Dr. Cook is a longtime friend, colleague, and kindred spirit. Bill wears several hats as a clinician, bioethicist, and director of the IRIS Center, where, among other things, he teaches a course on mindfulness and conscious living. Bill has worked with and trained with such well-known teachers as John Kabat-Zinn and Jack Cornfield. His course has been a life changer for me. I've taken the course twice, and it's been very, very significant in my life. And I know for many others here in Atlantic Canada and elsewhere, we're extremely fortunate to have his medical practice at the Iris Center supported by our healthcare system. You can find out more about the Iris Center, I-R-I-S like the flower, at www.iriscenter.ca. In this episode, I explore with Bill the evolution of the Iris Center, the benefits of mindfulness practice and his vision of a softer future. From there, if you you would like to uh, talk a little bit about the evolution of the the Iris Center and maybe Wendy's involvement, that, and if you have any other, anything else you would like to address, please just interrupt me and let me know. Right, right. Well, just to sort of continue a little bit of the the narrative around um, my own connection and, and, and working with myself when I sh- when I made the shift from the plastic surgery practice to the mind body medicine practice that happened prior to my knowing anything about John Kabat-Zinn and full catastrophe living and and mindfulness in in that set if you'd like uh, and I organized that mind body medicine practice based on the training that I had done uh, with Herbert Benson uh, in um at Harvard, but also out of my yoga knowledge uh, and my yoga training. So the first uh, three or four years of that mind-body medicine practice, before before I had uh, sort of learned about the mindfulness and done the MBSR course, uh, it was was, um, really a a yoga-based undertaking. And uh, as I learned about the MBSR 
and understood the uh, mindfulness uh, and uh, attention and awareness and uh, those sorts of things at a deeper level uh, through that work, I uh, integrated all of that into the program that I had already generated. And I, right from the very beginning, I called the program that we were sharing um, Mindfulness and Conscious Living. So we've had that uh, name or that terminology for the program that we share. Uh, it's an eight-week uh, training, um, three hours uh, each session that also incorporates some uh, cognitive behavior uh, work. Uh, and uh, origin initially, uh, I, I just did that uh, out of rented space. I didn't have an office for it. But again, here's an interesting uh, uh, development from the universe, if you'd like. I live on the river, um, not too far from where our center is. And since I was a youngster, I've loved canoeing. So I spend quite a bit of time uh, when I can in the uh, canoeing season out on... Um, the Wollastuck River, the St. John River, paddling around. And this one day I was downriver and paddling back upriver on uh, the north side of the river where, where we live. And I saw this chap with a, with a, a car, a truck, uh, down near the water where there's a bit of a ramp coming into the, into the river. Uh, so I pulled up and just got out and had a chat with him and well, um, that property is now where our, our Irish Center is. <laughs> As it turned out, this 29 acres uh, that uh, this chap had, had been uh, a dairy farm for several generations. And um, they had stopped dairy farming there years back. And uh, he had um, been topsoiling. All, all of this land is uh, what we call interval land. It floods uh, in the spring. So there's lots of uh, fresh alluvial soil being laid down every spring when the, uh, uh, when the floodwaters come, or the, the freshets come. And for, for a number of years, a couple of decades or more, this chap had been um, taking topsoil off uh, the land. And um, it, was, it had come down to a lot of clay, so there were lots of little pools of water that were hanging there. And eventually he put it up for sale and Wendy and I were able to purchase the, uh, the property. And right from the very beginning, when I, when I met him in around 2000, there was this uh, image or vision of, oh, this would be a great place to have a healing center, a great place for people to come and connect with nature and, and those sorts of things. And since we've purchased the property, we built a building for the practice, uh, medical practice to be housed in. And uh, we've done a lot of work on creating some walking trails, as you pointed out at the very beginning. But most of the work have been done by the beaver. <laughs> There's a natural um, uh, artesian spring uh, in this community uh, and that creates a, a wetlands uh, and a, a stream that flows down into uh, a larger stream called the Nashwalk stream that flows into the St. John River. And uh, we just let the beaver do what they want to do. And there's dams here and there and water backs up. So there's a wonderful wetlands that the beaver have uh, created. And uh, we've been able to uh, support that by uh, working on the trails, keeping the trails open, putting signage up, uh, making it only for walking, not for anything that's going to tear it up. And ultimately, we've um, 
put it in an outside greenhouse where we have an inside a studio inside the greenhouse for the for this you know spring summer and fall uh, practice and we've created a um, 65 foot uh, labyrinth for walking practice and meditation so uh, we're really really happy of with this uh, with this property and the interesting thing about it we discovered several years later when we were approached by um, our First Nations community about using uh, the property for a ceremony. And uh, the ceremony um, was called the the Wabanaki Convergence Ceremony. And uh, the convergence refers to the fact that the St. John River, the uh, Wallastic River, is um, tidal. So the the life-giving waters flow from all the tributaries of the St. John down the St. John to the Bay of Fundy, and then the tide brings it all back up. And uh, we're located where the property is, is, you know, right around the the end of the tide. So uh, in uh, um, Maliseet, there's actually a, a word for the end of the tide of the of the river, so they wanted to hold their uh, their ceremony at the end of the tide. So it's a water ceremony, uh, offering uh, uh, gratitude for uh, the water that brings life to uh, to everything. So uh, you know, I, again, I, we didn't have any knowledge of any of that uh, when we uh, uh, purchased the center and uh, the property and developed uh, the work, but uh, we were very very. Uh, um, very, very humbled by it all, and and uh, it feels really uh, an important connection for us. Yeah, it, it uh, completes a circle, really. Of, it, uh, yeah, it sacred, does. sacred space, and yeah, yeah. Um, you, um, I'm aware that the the course that you teach, and I know you. There are other activities at the uh, Iris Center that I don't know when you sleep, actually. But <laughs> um, well, COVID's given us a break for that. Yeah. I know when I took the course, you have this wonderful day-long meditation, which when I took it was, we were able to have it outside in that greenhouse, which was a lovely, a lovely day and uh, very, very peaceful. And then you also have uh, every second Monday, the uh, meditation and uh, kind of check-in session, which uh, is really generous of you, I think, because you take the course, and then for those who are interested, you can keep up. You can keep up with the insight and the inspiration and the enthusiasm through that second, uh, every second week uh, check-in. Yeah. yeah, so we call that the the, the maintenance program. So uh, we offer that opportunity for people. Uh, aside from the the medical practice uh, with the um, mindfulness and conscious living program and the maintenance program, we, we uh, up until the time of COVID, uh, uh, we, there were regular yoga classes being done. Uh, Wendy and I both uh, uh, teach yoga, and we had a couple of other yoga teachers that were here. Um, there was a prenatal class that was being done uh, fairly regularly. Uh, and uh, we would have uh, weekend retreats with uh, meditation teachers that we would uh, discover and bring in. Um, and uh, Wendy uh, herself is um, uh, connected with the spiritualist community, and uh, we even had um, 
uh, Suzanne Giesman and other uh, mediums and spiritualists here for uh, training workshops and those sorts of things as well. So the, the, we're hoping that as COVID uh, peters out that we can get back to uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, broader things uh, outside of the medical practice that we've narrowed into over the last two years. Yeah, Wendy, uh, from what I see, plays quite a significant role in the in the center in the course, and, and uh, I mean that particular course, but also her um, her other activities there. You 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 make a wonderful pair, a pair a couple. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, well, we well, I think we do complement each other. Uh, I would agree. You know, Wendy's a, a yoga teacher and a soul midwife, and. Um, you know, right now, uh, she's uh, been in the greenhouse uh, for the last uh, three, four weeks uh, planting seeds, um, which she grows to the point of being able to uh, uh, give away to the uh, local uh, food kitchen and food community uh, and to people that have uh, community gardens and those sorts of things. So she's got maybe 3,000 seedlings started down in the greenhouse right now. Yeah, You both have amazing energy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Wendy more than I do. I can't keep up with her. So <laughs> <laughs> you've mentioned some of the benefits for yourself of mindfulness and uh, your change in your path. Can you say a bit more about um, the benefits of the program that you've noticed uh, from, well, perhaps yourself more, and also the uh, patients that come to to your practice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I'll say that uh, after I came back from that first training with uh, uh, John Kabat-Zinn, uh, if you speak with Wendy, Wendy will tell you there was something different about me. I'm not sure that I'm able to label what that was particularly, um, but she was clear that uh, you know that 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 training uh, had made some change in in me. Just that one training. Um, Maybe I was just ripe for it. I don't know. And we, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, for many people, as they go through the, uh, uh, the eight-week training here with us, it, it's nice to see changes in, in them as well. Uh, as I reflect back on it, one of the things that, that I do think changed for me was that uh, uh, in, my, in my early years as a scientist and as a medical scientist and a, and a surgeon, I had a pretty black and white view of things. Uh, I, another way of saying that was I was pretty judgmental. <laughs> I had lots of opinions. And my perspective was um, narrowed by those judgments and opinions. That began to change for me um, when I started my bioethics training. Uh, and when I started to study some philosophy, it became clear as I did that work that uh, things aren't so black and white, that there are, uh, for the most part, lots of shades of gray. And, um, and I think maybe what happened in that very first uh, training uh, with John Kabat-Zinn is that that intellectual understanding that there are shades of gray and things aren't black and white, and that judgment is a narrowing of one's perspective, that I think went from my head to my heart. <laughs> So it became evident in the way I lived, not so much in the way I thought. And as a consequence of that, uh, I think I became more patient and 
less reactive. I think I became more understanding of myself and others and more compassionate for myself and others. Uh, and interestingly, those are the same sorts of things that people comment on uh, when they've been through the program as sort of changes that they might see within themselves some version of that. In incidentally, I don't know whether you know, but um, uh, I'm actually now in the process of uh, researching this with uh, one of your colleagues at St. Thomas uh, University, uh, where we're taking a deeper look, a deeper dive, if you'd like, into what are, what's people's experience when they go through this type of training. Um, so uh, we're really excited about that and looking forward to uh, uh, what that might tell us. Uh, um, from both the routine um, sort of uh, qualitative uh, look at things, but also the, uh, uh, the the opportunity to sit down with people in small focus groups and really uh, connect with them, much like you're connecting with me now to find out what happened. From a clinical perspective, the research actually tells us that um, programs like ours uh, seem to foster an increased cognitive and emotional flexibility in people and uh, sort of a stronger capacity to regulate emotions and not be so reactive. And essentially, that's what I think uh, we're finding as well. And I'm hoping that the research will show that to be the, the case as well. Um, as with the program with John Kabat-Zinn, I think people come to you with various conditions that the regular medical system doesn't seem to accommodate to too well, like, uh, and I'm speaking partly out of personal experience, but with anxiety or chronic pain, PTSD, other kinds of intractable sort of conditions where people really need help and are not getting enough of it from another option. And I think that's part of the wonderful uh, choice that you, you offer folks. Yeah. Uh, our, I mean, what's, a, what's really critical, I think, and what we... What I think the medical system uh, understands intellectually but hasn't been able to uh, um, fully accommodate yet is that uh, we're, we're, in essence, beings, if you'd like, that have a physical domain, an energy domain, a psychological, emotional, mental, cognitive domain, and spiritual domains, and that our health and wellness is dependent on all of those domains. And our medical system has uh, uh, really done a good job at focusing in on sort of acute health issues uh, and um, providing treatment and management for acute uh, illnesses and, and injuries. But it hasn't learned how to expand its role in that holistic aspect uh, that comes along with chronic health issues. And uh, I think that uh, the nice thing about uh, mind-body lifestyle medicine is that it's really taking a look at uh, the holistic understanding of health and wellness uh, and looking at these other domains and providing uh, people uh, assistance in exploring these other domains within themselves because they feed directly into, not indirectly, but directly into how we are. Do you agree one of the basic principles of all of this really is uh is moving. I was thinking when you were talking about how your own changes took place, and I was thinking about this, and now what you're just saying, that a lot of it is about acceptance, letting go, giving up some control, those kinds of things that are not culturally uh, valued as much in our culture, but 
would, would you agree that that's kind of the, what we need to do? We need to say, look, I, I don't know what to do about this. I, I, I can't do it anymore and I can't do it alone sort of thing. Yes, indeed. Uh, our, our natural tendency, of course, is to want to manage and control everything and, uh, and to try to make the world be the way we want it to be rather than uh, us adapting to the way the world is. And, you know, the efforting that we put into that type of control actually is damaging in the long haul. In the very short term, it can be helpful to, you know, get us from here to there, for example. But uh, over the long term, it, it, uh, it does us damage, I think. Interestingly, one of the quotes from Full Catastrophe Living that I share regularly with patients and in our groups and has been so meaningful to me, um, can I read it? Definitely. John writes these two sentences. To bring calmness to the mind and body requires that at a certain point we be willing to let go of wanting anything at all to happen and just accept things as they are and ourselves as we are with an open, receptive heart. This inner peace and acceptance lie at the heart of both health and wisdom. And so that's the work of being mindful, and that's the invitation that we're all called into. The trouble, of course, is that it's uh, counterintuitive and very counter to uh, the addiction we have to thinking. <laughs> I'd like to ask our guests, uh, what about some thoughts about the future, sort of the, 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 the grand picture, general vision, maybe advice for those coming up behind you in the world, that sort of thing? Hmm. Uh, there's so much and so little that needs to be said. Um, I'll start with the little that needs to be said. I think if we can all just learn to be kind to ourselves and to each other and to the world uh, and to uh, the natural environment around us, that will probably make the biggest difference we would ever imagine. To help with that, to be a little broader, I think that the work, and this comes basically from my own personal experience, but also from um, what I would understand from the from the traditional literature and practices and modern science, is that uh, if we can put some effort into learning to grow our perspective so that uh, we can make use of the ego, if you'd like, as a tool rather than defining ourselves as uh, as 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 that, um, it can be really very helpful. And of course, that's not advice that uh, is easy to follow. But it's not advice that's made just for individuals. It's advice for the community that we call society, uh, or for countries. You know, a lot of the difficulties we're seeing. Uh, uh, you know, now uh, in uh, Eastern Europe uh, are related to um, a very narrow perspective. Yeah, and uh, going back to what um, you did, the quote that you just read, we're at this time in the world, we're certainly being invited to let go and accept and, as you say, be kind to each other, uh, regardless of those other, what we take to, to be very unpleasant things happening in the yes. world. 
And it seems to me that's what a lot of, uh, I follow some other spiritual teachers here and there on Twitter and so on, or read, read things. And that seems to be the message from many of those folks now is we, we just, this is what we can do. We can't control or fix it all, but we can, we can act in this way. Yeah. And if, he, if each of us as an individual takes on the, um, the intention to be kind, no matter what, there'll be a ripple effect on that. You know, your, your kindness will have an impact on you, your health and wisdom, as John pointed out, and your kindness will have an impact on people around you. And that impact will have an impact on people around them. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, we just have to, again, it's something that you have to make it in an intention around and then purposefully, uh, work with it. Uh, work with it. Yeah. So there's, there is something we can do. It, it, it may, it may not, it may not be an actual physical action, uh, but, uh, it, it's having, uh, it's an energy nonetheless, uh, that has an impact in the world that is. Um, probably more profound uh, than the physical action. Well, this is uh, being quite very, very fascinating, and I really thank you for coming and sharing. I think as my hat as a gerontologist, I, uh, I think you're someone, uh, and I know aging, I, I don't like the word successful aging, because it sort of means you can fail at your own aging. Yeah, aging. Um, but I do like the word meaningful aging. And I, uh, from my point of view, you're someone who uh, is aging meaningfully. I also know that term itself needs to be talked about carefully because not everybody does or, or believes that for themselves. But when you do, mm -hmm. it's a gift for sure. And I think I, I see you that way. Thank and you. you share that with those around you in uh, very practical ways. And so I thank you for your wisdom and for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you, Gary. And uh, uh, likewise, I, I loved your book and uh, I would encourage people to uh, pick that up and uh, explore your teachings as well. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to the Pathways to Stillness podcast series. My book, Pathways to Stillness, Reflect, Release, Renew, is available on Amazon, Indigo Chapters, and Friesen Press. It is also available in audiobook form from Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. <laughs>